Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest Internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and Internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Welcome to the Smirconish podcast for independent minds. Mark Halpern's wide world of news today. Really insightful. A hacker named Huggy Lucifer 666 provided him with great fodder in terms of emails pertaining to the events of the day. He joins us now. Hey, Mark, thanks so much. Belated happy birthday to you. Michael, thank you. Very happy to be with you and talk to you and heard from many of the over people who in the overlap between your listeners and my readers. Uh, so very, uh, very grateful for all the well wishes yesterday. So uh, I've been eager to speak to you since Saturday. I think I reached out to you at that time because in the Saturday wide world of news, there was a list of predictions and prognostications. I think some tongue in cheek, others maybe not so much. But the one that really was great, and I talked about it here on Monday, you ranked the likely Republican and Democratic nominees. Uh, You've said you said consistently in 2021. Let me get this straight. You said that the most likely were Biden, Harris, DeSantis and Trump, but that Mark Halpern believes none of the above will be elected president in 2024. How am I doing so far? You're right on target. And again, it's a little bit confusing to say, I think those four are going to likely be the nominees, but none of them will win because obviously somebody has to win. Right. Okay. So now you're circling back at the outset of a new year, the midterm year, and you say the most likely Republican nominees in order, Trump, other, DeSantis, Cruz, other ill-defined or not defined at all. On the Democratic side of the aisle, number one. Other, meaning more likely that it's not Biden, it's not Harris, it's somebody else we don't even know. And number two, Hillary, then Biden, and then Harris. I have to point out that you said this on Saturday, now in the Wall Street Journal. You've got Douglas Schoen and Andrew Stein talking about a potential Hillary comeback in 2024. In the New York Times today, you've got Tom Friedman proposing a Biden Liz Cheney ticket. So I think you fired the starting gun, but others are now starting to think about 2024. Let's discuss. So if you took away Hillary Clinton's baggage and, you know, the special aspects of her that would make some Democrats and some others roll their eyes at the notion of her running for president again, uh, she's younger than Joe Biden. She's got the same resume that allowed her to win the popular vote. And the Clintons are very um, uh, have been for, you know, multiple decades, both Bill and Hillary Clinton are very good at three things that are germane here. 
very good at seeing when the Democratic Party has drifted too far to the left and the implications of that for winning the White House. And I think they see what anyone with eyes sees, but they see with a certain clarity and, and resonance, which is there are aspects of the Democratic Party now, like on immigration, that, that are too far to the left for a lot of the country. Second is the Clintons are always looking for the opening. They're always looking at what's going on. And, uh, and you know, I think that Joe Biden, Kamala Harris are not strong candidates for 2024 right now. I don't see a lot of other people out there who I think even plausibly could could become the nominee. Not a big list. Uh, and then finally, uh, the, the Clintons do feel a call to public service. They do feel a responsibility. And just as in, I, I believe history is going to record that, that people will say the only person Donald Trump could have beaten for president in 2016, the only person maybe in the country was Hillary Clinton. The only person Joe Biden could have beaten in a general election in 2020 was Donald Trump. And it may be because of twists of fate and turns and changes in their positioning that the only Democrat who can stop Donald Trump from getting reelected is Hillary Clinton. So she published a book with Louise Penny. It's a bestseller. It's a novel. And I interviewed her in late December. And it was a wonderful interview, enjoyable. It was all about the book, lighthearted. I didn't I didn't pull the trick of, OK, I'll ask three questions about current events and what does she think about Ukraine? And then one on the book. It was a book interview and she yep. was delightful. And Mark, I heard from so many people who said, wow, that was really an eye opener. Frankly, some people drew comparison. I felt so good about this to an interview that she had recently recently done with Howard Stern. His was two hours long, totally revealing of a different side of Hillary. And the comment that often I heard about Howard's interview than my own was, if only we'd seen that Hillary when she ran against Trump. The reason that I think she was able to be so relaxed with me and with Stern, more importantly, is because in her mind, it's over. Those days are behind her. She's having fun now. She's writing a novel. Yeah, well. I'll say two things. One is the reason why you and Howard are so good at what you do is because you're interested in people and you listen and you're respectful, but you're also probing. And I think I think uh, she does well under those circumstances with people like you and with like Howard uh, because she's comfortable. Um, But I don't think she's I don't think she's put it behind her. She's done too many things in the last couple of months that show a tell me. Say, yeah, tell me what what the interview. Look at what she said in the interviews she's done where have touched on politics, like with Fareed Zakaria, look at some of the things she's tweeted. Um, she's clearly trying to shape the contours of the debate about the democratic party. I know for a fact that she is part of a group that I find shockingly small, which is a group of Democrats and others who want to stop Donald Trump from getting elected president again, who are actually thinking about how to do it. There's plenty of hand wringing about it. There's plenty of attempts to to pass laws to bar him from running for for any office, uh, you know, to to see if he'll be indicted. These things may stop Donald Trump, but I doubt it. And she's clearly thinking, just based on her public comments and and and, and what I know she said to at least some people privately, she's thinking, well, let's beat him on ideas. Let's beat him at the ballot box, fair and square, to 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 uh, not just to uh, to do it the right way. But to do it, what might be the only way to stop it, though, I mean, the right way, kind of, you know, morally and and in terms of the rules. So, you know, is she thinking about those things as an elder statesperson, you know, completely absent any ambition to run? Possibly. 
But I'll say again, if you believe, as most of my sources do, that Joe Biden will not be a candidate in 2024, despite what he says now, that Vice President Harris has not proven to be someone who Democrats would feel comfortable sending into a general election against Donald Trump. And then you look at all the senators, all the governors, all the House members, all the business people, all the categories from which one would normally look to say, who's 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 a potential nominee, who's a potential general election winner. I, I've not had time to go through and look at this systematically, but it is as short a list as I've seen either party have in quite some time. And so Ser- it brings you back inexorably to someone like Hillary Clinton, given how old you know our presidents have been lately, to, to say, can't just can't rule it out. Uh, Siri tells me that Hillary is 74 today, Trump is 75, Biden is 79. Right, so... So, look, there's there's three ways to look at this. One is it's not just about age. It's about acuity. And, you know, every interview I've seen with her and heard with her, including yours and Howard's, she's, you know, she's not lost steps, at least not perceptibly right now. Number two is, you know, we're going to have some old candidates next time. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I think, is underrated as someone who might run. So, you know, on one level, that's not a problem. On the other hand, I do hear from folks in my focus groups and, and from talking to others You know, people, I think, would not relish a contest between two senior citizens. And that certainly is not in her favor. But if she's running in lieu of Biden or she's running against Trump, you know, it's just not going to be disqualifying because the other people are going to be old, too. Let let me ask the the co-author of Game Change and Double Down. What does that look like if she wants to do it? Is it a conventional run or does she hang back and wait to be drafted? Right. Well, I don't know. I think I think part of what makes her more likely is I believe that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will take up a lot of space. You and I have talked about this concept in the past. They'll take up a lot of space for a good long time because they're not going to acknowledge that they're not going to be candidates for president, one or the other, until very late in the game because it would undermine their capacity to govern not as lame ducks. So so. I would be surprised if somebody like an Amy Klobuchar or Pete Buttigieg uh, or, you know, Governor Pritzker, I'd be surprised if any of them kind of got out there. Now, maybe they'll go speak in Iowa, New Hampshire at a dinner, but to hire staff, organize, build fundraising. I'd just be surprised if, if, if the field is frozen effectively until, say, the fall or summer of, of 23, it, it, the only alternative uh, I believe is for somebody to win the nomination and then pivot immediately to the general election is Hillary Clinton, who has the fundraising list, who, you know, who this would not be, this would be her third rodeo and more if you count her husband's runs that she was intimately involved with. So I just think it positions her to, I wouldn't say drafted, but if, 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 if Biden and Harris are taking themselves out, and I think there's a good possibility under certain circumstances, they both would, then she can kind of do it. I wouldn't say by acclamation. I think somebody would run against her, but she'd be in an extraordinarily strong position by most of the ways you measure who a party's going to nominate. In the the Douglas Schoen Andrew Stein piece, part of me looked at it and thought because I I think Douglas Schoen and I like him and I think he's bright and he's been a guest here and I, I enjoy his his company uh, on air. But part of me mm-hmm. thought that was just a, a bit of a pot stirring. When in the Saturday wide world of news, you ranked the D's and some of your prognostications were tongue in cheek, but you were serious about this one, right? That that I she's was, the I second. Was. 
You were. Okay, just want to make it clear. Second most likely. We don't know who the first most likely is, but ahead of Biden and Harris is Hillary. I think so. Again, you know, there's a lot of variables here that no one can answer. You know, Joe, if we had if we had them on the line here with us and they put their cards on the table, I still don't think we'd really know. I just I can see her becoming the nominee. I have a hard time seeing Joe Biden or Kamala Harris being the nominee right now. Okay, switch to the Republican side of the aisle. Donald Trump, number one. Nobody could disagree with that. Other ahead of Ron DeSantis. How come? Well, he has squandered some of his advantages that he had uh, because he was clearly number two with a bullet and, and, and in some by some measures was overtaking Trump. Uh, amongst some elite Republicans who, who don't want Trump to be the nominee. And in some polls, he was doing very well. He, he, has, he has disrespected a lot of inside players in the party. And part of, part of why they're downgrading him now is, you know, just kind of like the personal, their nose is out of joint. But a lot of the shrewder ones who don't really care that, you know, he, he, he canceled the meeting or he was three hours late, um, they look at that and say, how's that guy going to do in Iowa? How's that guy going to do in New Hampshire? How's that guy going to do when he's being interviewed by national reporters on a regular basis? Um, so uh, uh, I, I just have a feeling. And again, as you know, before, I thought when, when, I, when I was very aware of his strength uh, from my focus groups and other, other reporting, I, I, I thought he was very strong. I, I did say, as you know, as we talked about today and earlier, I just don't think he's going to be president this time. Maybe down the road, but I just don't think. I think his... I think his personal style will trip him up in either the nomination fight or in a general election. And so I still have him as number three, but I do think other is is ahead of him. And that other could be any number of people. Number four, Ted Cruz, I think Saturday preceded the Tucker Carlson sit down with Ted Cruz. And, and maybe in the scheme of things, it's it's not as as big a deal. Um but I wonder if you had watched yeah. Cruz groveling with Tucker Carlson, right. would you still have put Ted Cruz in the number four position? I would. I, you know, there are people who said to me, so surely now, you know, you think there's zero chance Ted Cruz can be the nominee after the Tucker Carlson interview. I believe he was before that interview and still is an undervalued stock in this. Um, mm-hmm. As he himself pointed out the other day, the Republican Party traditionally has nominated someone who either was the runner up the previous time. Uh, has been a vice president or had the last name Bush. That's been kind of the way the party has, till Trump, that's the way the party picked people. Cruz was the runner-up last time without ambiguity. And um, I've, I'm familiar with some private polling that shows, uh, in conjunction with the midterms, Trump's endorsement in a Republican primary matters a ton. But there's some states and some races where Cruz's endorsement is almost seen, is seen as, by voters as almost as valuable as Trump. And that, to me, marries up with other things I've heard about the size of his email list, about the reactions he gets around the country. I saw him at CPAC last year. I just I just think that if you look at the history of the party, you look at where he is, that slip up or whatever you want to call it with Tucker notwithstanding, uh, I, I, I just I think he's the fourth most likely right now. Mark, it's the 12th of January. Obviously, a lot is going to change. But as of now, the 12th of January of 2022, 
you believe Trump is running, right? I ask that question knowing that you've paid close attention to him for a period of years. Also, remembering that Donald Trump is very interested in what Mark Halpern thinks. I'll never forget that McKay Coppins piece where McKay Coppins was in Trump's company and, and Trump is on the phone. Wondering, what does Halpern think? What does Halpern think? I mean, he, he, he surely looks like he's doing this, not just going through the motions, right? Yeah, well, back back when he cared a lot about what I thought, it was in part because I was one of the only reporters who took his prospects to become president seriously. I'm not sure he cares nearly as much anymore, just to be clear. Um, okay. Look, I, I would say the same thing about Hillary Clinton as I do about Donald Trump. Rarely is it the case, there's a few potential exceptions, rarely is it the case that a human being who is in a relatively strong position to be the nominee of their party, that they don't run. Just That just almost never happens. Uh, and, and uh, you know, as James Carville famously said about running for president, you don't just do it. It's like sex. You don't just do it once and then say, yeah, I'm never going to do that again. Both of them, you know, like the notion of being president. Both of them, if you look at the, again, the historical metrics used that are pretty good predictors of who the nominee is, Trump more than Hillary. But, you know, there's an extraordinary uh, 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 chance based on the polls and other things that he would be president. Uh, that he'd be the nominee, rather. And so I just find it hard to believe he passed it up. Every conversation I talk, I have with anyone who's talked to him, th- you know, they, they range from, you know, 95% to 100% he's running. So <laughs> something could change. Something could change on the health front or the legal front. But but he's running right now. And, and, and the way he plots his life in conjunction with the midterms and who he criticizes, et cetera, it's all geared towards running. And that there was a New York Times story that I featured in Wild World the News a couple of days ago. It didn't get nearly as much attention as I thought it would to talk about how much money he and his his groups, his super PACs, et cetera, are raising. There, there's no one close to him within the party. So I, I'd imagine he would run and try to redeem himself. Uh, people, you know, the biggest sort of prism for, for this, I think, is Trump doesn't like to be a loser. Loser is the, the thing he hates the most. Is he a loser if he runs and loses? Absolutely. But he's a loser for sure if he doesn't run because he's a one term president. And he looks at that as like huge sign of being a loser. He had, right before him, first time since the founding of the Republic, three straight two term presidents. He's well aware of the fact that he was unable to duplicate the, the feat of Clinton, Bush and Obama. And, you know, the, the best way to get out of that potential loser uh, sign around his neck is to run again and win. And. The way things are shaping up right now, million years away politically. But if if the, the Joe Biden presidency is a failure, if there's inflation and crime and Mexico border problems and weakness around the world, uh, you know, it couldn't be it couldn't be an easier way for Trump to run. Doesn't even have to talk about, you know, the big lie. He can talk about the Biden record and whether he's running against Biden or Hillary, whoever, you know, you'd have to say he'd have a chance to win at that point. How do you think, final question, how do you think the Saturday Wide World of News and the Today Wall Street Journal showing Stein piece were received at Mar-a-Lago and Bedminster? In other words, the prospect of Hillary reemerging, do you think that Trump looks at that and says, that's the perfect scenario for me? Or does he say, oh, I'd rather have Biden or Harris? Uh, he, he would say they're all beauty. And he would be happy to run against any of them. I think I think he I think he would find I'm speculating because I haven't talked to him or anyone else in his camp about this. But I think he would find the prospect of running against Hillary at once enticing because I think he thinks he could beat her again. 
but also I think it might be a little boring for him. You know, he likes, he likes new things. He likes challenges. He likes kind of, you know, stuff to chew over and been there, done that he's run against Hillary Clinton for president. So I think he might have mixed feelings about it, but you know, people say, well, certainly this would get him into the race because I have him at about a hundred percent already, regardless of who the Democrat is. I can't say that this somehow raises the chances in any appreciable way that he'd run. But I, I do believe he would think that's a race he could win. Uh, but I also think he'd feel that way about Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar. Man, that was interesting and fun. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Michael, my pleasure. Always happy to talk to you about anything. But I know you and I have a particular interest in staying ahead of the curve on this stuff. Oh, my God. It's it's just too intriguing. Couldn't make it up, Mark. Could not make it have up. Have a great Thank day. Thank you for that. I agree. Yeah. Take care. Talk and to you soon. Again, Bye. belated happy birthday. Mark's birthday was yesterday. By the way, I have re-upped for the wide world of news. I did so yesterday for another year. In honor of his birthday? No, just in, like in honor of it's Why the not? early part of the year, and I want to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest Internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and Internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.